Would you turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. It's not too difficult to find, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So we're coming to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse uh, 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 1. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed and there was no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has uh, not uh, seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who had no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure. This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken." Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led." Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. They do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your hearts be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it uh, was a mistake. Why should God be angry at the voice and destroy the work of your hands. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Amen. Uh, And we know God will always bless the reading of his own inspired word. Let's come before the Lord uh, in prayer. Uh, Let's all, uh, all pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that it has been inspired by you. We know that there are portions of your word that are more difficult to understand than others, and we pray for help and for the illumination of your uh, spirit when we come to this passage this morning, for Jesus' sake. 
Amen. All the lonely people, where do they come from? All the lonely people, where do they belong? Father Mackenzie writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. No one comes near. Look at him working, darning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. What does he care? All the lonely people, where do they come from? All the lonely people, where do they belong? Elner Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Father Mackenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people, where do they come from? All the lonely people, where do they belong? The Beatles sang about it. One in four suffer from it. Eleven and a half million people phone the Samaritans every year as a result of it. Two thousand people write to the agony aunt Belle Moody in the Daily Mail every week as a result of it. People of all ages suffer from it. Children, adolescents, the recently married, the middle-aged, the retired, and the bereaved. What is it? Loneliness. And that's Solomon's theme here in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Loneliness. And loneliness is a terrible business. Indeed, it can make a person who is rational, intellectual, influential, suicidal. Look at verse 2. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. In Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, there we read these words. Goodbye, everybody. I've got to go. Got to leave you all behind and face the truth. Mama, I don't want to die. I sometimes wish I'd never been born at all. And there's nothing sadder than that when you begin to envy the dead or the unborn. You're in a pretty desperate state when you're thinking like this. Derek Kidner says of verse 2, there is nothing sadder in this book than this wistful glance at the dead and the unborn. And many people feel like that from time to time, not all of the time, but some of the time. You feel like opting out of life. And what is it that makes people feel like that? Loneliness, says Solomon. Chapter 4 is concerned with loneliness. And Solomon picks out three or four of the root causes of loneliness. First of all, loneliness caused by injustice. Look at verse 1. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. Life's unfair. A child will sometimes say to uh, their parents, life is unfair. That's not fair, only to be told by their parents that life is not uh, fair. And you've got to uh, uh, understand that as you, you grow up. Solomon is looking on here, and he says in verse uh, 1, again I saw, I saw the oppressed, and there was no one to comfort them. They're all alone. People say it's lonely at the top. Solomon says it's lonely at the bottom. Those who are oppressed and exploited, who are downtrodden, who suffer injustice, are alone. There's no one to help. There's no one uh, to comfort. There's no one to uh, strengthen them. That oppression could come from the iron fist of a ruthless dictator. 
meeting out injustice to his people, the Jews in Nazi Germany, the dissidents in Stalinist Russia, the infidels in Islamic Iran, all oppressed, feeling helpless in the face of injustice and feeling all alone. But that oppression could also uh, come uh, in uh, a family with an abusive husband who mistreats his wife and uh, takes his children uh, for granted. It can be felt by an unemployed, uh, unmarried mother who lives in a shoebox in the concrete jungle of a large city and feels oppressed that life is against her and that the whole system militates against her bettering herself. She feels alone. She's surrounded by millions, but feels lonely. And at times that loneliness is unbearable. Or the teenager who leaves home in search of fame or fortune and uh, ends up in London in that vast metropolis, but all alone, surrounded by people, but all alone. Loneliness caused by injustice. There was no one to comfort them. But here's something else. Uh, Loneliness caused by competitiveness or a keeping up with the Joneses, uh, the the rat race. Look at verse 4. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. We hear a lot today about going green, but the Bible would tell us that man has always been green, green with envy. Envy is a powerful force in our lives. We see what others have, and we just have got to get it ourselves, and and we're not happy. Look at verse 5. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. So you can't drop out. You you have to work, but there must be balance. Verse 6. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. One hand with tranquility. The NIV says quietness. The word carries the idea of rest and peace. So it doesn't make sense to be uh, in this rat race, working night and day. Uh, uh, You've got to get a balance, says Solomon. But you enter the rat race at a very early age. Abraham Lincoln was walking along the street one day with his two boys, and his two sons were fighting with each other, and some a passerby cried out, What's the matter with your boys? To which Abraham Lincoln replied, The same thing that's wrong with the whole world. I have three walnuts, and they want two. They could have had one each, and they could have enjoyed it. Uh, and shared the other, but they wanted two for themselves. It's like, you know, your auntie, when you were young, brings you a bar of chocolate to split with your uh, siblings, and uh, you say, before it's broken, I want the big half. Look where it leads you, this keeping up with the Joneses. Look at verse 7, and I saw vanity under the sun, One person who has no other, either son or brother, and there's no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy uh, business. Here's a man who is all alone, and he, he doesn't ask himself why he's working, why he's trying to keep up with the, the Joneses. 
He's reached the top of his career, but pyramids reach a peak, a point. And that's where this man is, at the top. But he's lonely. This man didn't work an eight-hour day. He worked night and day. He didn't work a five-day week. He worked weekends as well. He brought his work home. And now at last, he has achieved his goal. The ball has gone into the back of the net. And he turns around to receive the adulation and congratulations of the crowd. But there's no one there. He's all alone. His wife left him a long time ago because he was never home. His children, well, they have their own lives to live. He wasn't much of a father anyway. Listen to the words of this popular song that captures exactly what Solomon is saying here. My child arrived just the other day. He came into the world in the usual way. There were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk when I was away. And he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew up, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be just like you. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I have a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walks away and his smile never dimmed. And he said, I'm going to be like him. I'm going to be like him. Well, he came home from college just the other day. So much of a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit a while? He shook his head and said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? I've long since retired. My son moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have got flu. But it's real nice talking to you, Dad. It's real nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me. He had grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. That's what Solomon's describing here in verses 4 to 8. That someone who's motivated by the envy of his neighbor, of grabbing and getting, but his life is dominated by loneliness and uh, emptiness. So we have loneliness caused by oppression, loneliness caused by competitiveness. Thirdly, loneliness caused by isolation. And this is closely related to the previous point, but with a slight difference. You see, not everyone's loneliness is their own fault. Some are isolated by force of circumstances. Some have never been married, even if they wanted to be. Some enjoyed the companionship of a partner for many years, but suddenly that partner is snatched away by death. Others have found that they have been abandoned by a husband or a, a wife uh, who suddenly walked out on them with somebody half their age, and, and they're all alone. That's what Solomon deals with in verses 9 to 12. It's, it's this form of loneliness that he's speaking about. He draws the picture of a man who desperately wants a companion, but none is available. So the, the man buries himself in his work. But you see what he says there in verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. This man's work only rubs salt into his wounds. He successfully makes money, and then he realizes that he has nobody to enjoy that money with, nobody to spend that money on. And it's that sense of loneliness then increases. I remember at our wedding classes 40 years ago, 
Pastor Byers, who lost his wife when he was uh, in his early 40s, said to, to, to us, you know, he was encouraging us to enjoy each other's company. And he said, you know, it's not even a pleasure to go on holidays when you're by yourself. Because part of the thing about a holiday is, is looking at a beautiful building or a beautiful landscape or scene and turning to the person beside you and saying, isn't that beautiful? But when you're all alone, you have nobody to say that to. We all have a need for fellowship. You see, that's the way God made us. That's the way that God created us. Remember, man is made in the image of God, and God is a trinity. And because He is a trinity, there's, there's relationships in the Godhead. And because we are made in the image of God, there's this craving for community, this craving for companionship, this craving for fellowship. Do you remember when God created the world and day one He created light and we're told that God saw that it was good and day two He created sky and God saw that it was good. Day three He created uh, the ground and vegetation and God saw that it was good. Day four He created the sun and the moon and the stars and God saw that it was good. Day five He created the sea creatures and the birds of the air and God saw that it was good. Day six He created the animals. And God saw that it was good. And then he created man and he said, it is not good. Before the fall, before sin entered the world, when God saw the loneliness of man, he said, it is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. And although man had the companionship of of the animals, uh, he was all alone. He classified the animals. He had a relationship with the animals, but he was all alone. And God created Eve uh, as, a, as a partner for him. And so we are, are created for community. We are created not to be alone. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's living, loving that I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I am shielded by my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island. And a rock feels no pain. And an island seldom cries. But is that true? Is Paul Simon right on that? Is that true? That a rock feels no pain? And an island seldom cries. Well, look at what Solomon says here in verse 18. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has has not another to lift him up. Verse 11. Again, if two lie down, they can keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. That's just, just not true. We, we need companionship. We need community. We need somebody there for us to help us. Some of the saddest words that I have ever read were written by the, one of the world's wealthiest men. John Paul Getty, he said, I have never known love. And I have never known what it is to have a friend. I have never known love. And I have never known what it is to have a friend. That we need community. That we need uh, 
companionship, that we need relationships. That's what Solomon is telling us. Loneliness caused by isolation. Fourthly, loneliness caused by old age in verses 13 through to 16. I'll not read that portion, uh, but there is a, a, difficult over the, a difficulty over the translation, whether uh, two kings are being mentioned or three kings. But old age is where you feel this most acutely. That's where Solomon takes us now, uh, to the dreadful anticlimax of old age. Solomon is probably referring to an incident that was well known to his readers, something that could be read in the morning newspaper. In verses 13 to 16, we have the story of an old man who has passed his prime, and he is succeeded by a young and brilliant upstart, a young man who has made good. He comes from prison, from the ranks of the oppressed, from the uh, downtrodden. It's like the story of Abraham Lincoln from the log cabin to the White House. And this young man comes from nowhere, and he takes his place, takes the place of this old king, and the crowds love him until he himself grows old, and he begins to lose his grip, and they ditch him also. Verse 16, those who come later will not uh, rejoice in him. Isn't that life? Isn't that the story of your life? You're over the hill at 30. The rat race is soon over. When you caught up on it, you caught up in it, you think it's going to go on forever. But we're soon past our prime. Then we become casualties rather than competitors. And just when we are uh, ready to start living, when we have accumulated the resources that are necessary, uh, financial resources, intellectual resources, the, the wisdom that's necessary, some young person comes and takes our place. And we're all alone. Sad, but it happens. Teachers come out of teacher training college with all the uh, things at the fingertips, and then they're teaching for 15 years. They're building up their skills, and then a, a young upstart comes straight out of teacher training college with all the new ideas, and they're left behind. Doctors pioneer new surgical techniques, but their hands begin to shake, and someone younger and better comes along, preachers. It happens to pastors all the time that the style becomes old-fashioned, becomes a little bit predictable. And somebody comes along with a, with a fresh approach, like James. No, I'm joking. And, and uh, they're ditched. Or singers. Singers. We went to Neil Young concert in the Odyssey in Belfast. I, I loved Neil Young. And it was like going into an old folks home. That's the truth. They're all 60 and... Well, I have to be careful. I'm over 60 now, but they're all 60 and 70. Adam Ant. Who's heard of Adam Ant? Boy George, Kate Bush, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. All gone. All gone. See what happens. You're the center of attention for a while, and then you grow old and no one wants to know. There is always somebody new, somebody younger, somebody more attractive, somebody stronger, someone 
better. Do you see how contemporary this book is? Not much has changed in 3,000 years. The scenery has changed, but man hasn't changed. The pressures and problems of loneliness that you experience today, Solomon identified 3,000 years ago. Loneliness caused by oppression, by competitiveness, by isolation, by old age. Um, John Steinbeck, writing in his book East of Eden, says, When a man comes to die, no matter what his talents and influence and genius, if he dies unloved, his life must be a failure to him and to his, uh, and his dying in a cold horror. That's life under the sun, says Solomon. Life with God left out. That's what life under the sun means. Life with God left out. If you adopt that secular, humanistic view of life, with life with God left out, it's, it's a miserable business. So then loneliness is a feature of life under the sun. So, what's the answer to this? Well, I just want you to remember that, that the chapter divisions in our Bibles are artificial. Solomon hasn't changed subject, and he comes into chapter 5, and he, he talks about the temple. He says, guard your steps as you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools and and uh, for they do not know what they are, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are in earth. You see, that's the problem. The, the temple was a, a sermon in stone, and it was there to convey something of the greatness of God and the otherness of God. It was a magnificent building, but when you approached the temple, there was this, this veil, this veil that reminded the worshiper that he was separated from God, that was embroidered with cherubim, and uh, that reminded him of the, the Garden of Eden, because you remember when Adam and Eve were put out of the Garden of Eden, uh, there were cherubim placed east of Eden to prevent Adam and Eve going back to the place where they, God walked with them in the cool of the day, where there was perfect fellowship and harmony and, and, and community. And that temple reminded the worshiper that we are living east of Eden, that there's a separation that has come between us and God that we can't come into His presence without sacrifice because there was an altar between the worshiper and the uh, holy of holies, the, the veil that separated the holy of holies off. And you see, that's the problem. Because when you um, read the Genesis account of, of, uh, of uh, the fall, you discover that immediately Adam and Eve sin, there's disruption in their relationship. Adam begins to blame uh, Eve, and uh, there's tension between them. And then you read of Cain and Abel, and Cain kills Abel. There's disruption in the, the, the relationship. And then you uh, read of Lamech, who was a man who 
uh, killed a man for wounding him. And then you read in Genesis 11 of the Tower of Babel where there's uh, ethnic diversity comes in and people are scattered and separated from each other. And loneliness is a result of sin and our uh, disruption uh, in the disruption and in our relationship with God. And so, you see, what happens is that when you become a Christian, when you come to the sacrifice, like Abraham, you become a, a, a friend of God, that you're in a relationship with God so that you're uh, never alone. So, Joshua, when he is commissioned to take the people of Israel into the promised land and feeling the weight of the responsibility, God comes to him and says, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so when David's men are threatening to turn against him because of the destruction of Ziglag, we're told that, that he encouraged himself in the Lord. When he felt alone, when he was isolated, when he was ostracized, he still was able to have this relationship with God. When Paul arrives in Athens, Athens and is overwhelmed by the hostility that he, he faces, God comes to him and says, fear not for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. When Paul is, is under the sentence of death and has been abandoned by uh, his fellow workers, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, at my first defense, no one came to stand with me, but all have deserted me. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. You see, you were created to live in the Garden of Eden. You were created to walk, to be, to walk with God in the cool of the day. You were created for a relationship with God. And when sin is dealt with and you're brought into a relationship with God, then you know what it is to have that companionship, that friendship, that fellowship with God Himself. And even when you feel isolated and alone, God is there with you. And like Abraham, you can become the friend of God. And it's, um, that's why Jesus came. And that's just why uh, Jesus died. So that, that as that altar needed to be uh, uh, approached and a sacrifice needed to be offered as you approach the Holy of Holies. So we are reconciled to God. We are brought into a relationship with God. We have fellowship with God through sacrifice that He came, as Paul says, to reconcile us to God. But, but not only that, not only that do we have Him as our friend. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear so that, so that we're never uh, ultimately and finally alone. But not only that, but we're brought into a relationship with others too. Did you, did you notice there in verse 12? And though a man might prevail against one who is all alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken you see that? So, a cord of one strand is stronger. A cord 
made up of two strands is stronger still, but a cord made up of three strands is supremely strong. So who's, who's the gooseberry in this relationship? Two are better than one. So we have the friend and his companion, the husband and his wife, but who's, who's the third strand? Well, the third strand is God Himself. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so in a marriage, and marriages are under threat and under so much tension and difficulty today, but when God is at the center of that marriage, the marriage becomes stronger still. Or when you're, you're converted, you're brought into the family of God. God has placed us not only in, in normal families, He's placed us in churches that we can bear one another's burdens and that we can share and care and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And so, because we have God in our lives as our friend and as our companion, then those relationships are strengthened because Christians just can't walk away. If they fall out or they say a cross word, or they become disgruntled. They, they say, well, God has brought me into this relationship, and I must remain in this relationship. And so a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Do you see what the answer is? The answer was found in the very structure of the temple, that we are living a separated life from God, that uh, God is in heaven and we are on earth. But through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, we can be brought into a relationship that is so close and so intimate that He becomes the friend of sinners so that the sinner is never alone. But not only that, they are brought into a relationship with other Christians so that they're brothers and sisters in Christ who can share and care and carry in times of trouble. When we emigrated to Australia, I was, was 17, and we had moved to an area that um, we had no previous connection with. And uh, that Sunday, I made my way to the local church. And, uh, and from the moment I entered that church, I had a hundred friends. And I was invited out for dinner. I was invited out for lunch. I was invited into the youth fellowship. And all of those things. And my family stood amazed because here they were feeling isolated and alone in a new community and a new country. And that's the good news of the gospel. That the good news of the gospel is that we're never, ever truly alone because we have God as our Father, and we have every Christian as our brother or sister. Loneliness is a terrible business. And, and maybe there are some Christians here this morning, and you're, you're feeling lonely, and you're feeling isolated. Could it be that maybe you don't appreciate the nearness of God? Tennyson said of the nearness of God, nearer is he than breathing, near, closer than hands and feet. And could it be that you have distanced yourself from people and you don't open your heart and you don't open your life to your fellow Christians and to your fellow church members? And that's why loneliness comes. 
to have friends, we need to be friendly. That's just the bottom line. And uh, we need to open our hearts. So here's, here's loneliness. Here uh, is, is Solomon's subject. Loneliness through oppression. Loneliness through competitiveness. Loneliness through isolation. Loneliness through old age. What a miserable business. Not my words. Solomon's words. What a miserable business that is. But when we come to Christ and we trust in Christ, we have a relationship with God and we have a relationship with God's people. Amen.